0: Welcome to The Positioning Show, where we discuss topics related to the practical application of positioning for marketing, sales, and product teams. I'm April Dunford, a consultant, author, and the world's leading expert on positioning for B2B technology companies. Hey everybody, welcome to The Positioning Show. I'm so happy that you've decided to join me today. Actually, you're not just joining me, today I have a special guest. So the guest with me today is Nick Francis. He is the co-founder and CEO of a company called Help Scout. I've known Help Scout for a while. They've actually been in business since 2011, and they're a neat success story. I worked with them a couple of years ago, helping them tighten up their positioning. We worked a little bit on their sales narrative. So I thought it would be really great to have Nick on the show and get him to talk a bit about, you know, what did the positioning of Help Scout look like in the very, very early days? How did that evolve over time? We wanted to talk a little bit about why did he decide to bring somebody in from the outside to help with their positioning? And I also wanted to talk with Nick a little bit about how he took the sales narrative work that we worked on together and turned it into an actual pitch, how they iterated on that, what they liked and didn't like about it, and how their positioning is now evolving over time as their going broader inside of accounts, and also moving a little bit up market. This was a really neat discussion. We got to get into some of the real practical, gory details of how stuff works inside a company from a founder's perspective. So I really enjoyed this conversation. I hope you do too. Hey, Nick. So great to have you on your show. So great to see you. How are you? Thanks for
1: having me. It's always a pleasure to talk with you.
0: Thanks for coming and agreeing to be on the show. I th- there was a handful of things that I wanted to cover today, and oh, by the way, Nick's got the most adorable puppy in the background. If you're watching the video, <laughs> it's so cute. Yeah, she's
1: tearing up one of my pillows. If <laughs> <laughs> we could take that away,
0: all right. The Here extra entertainment of this episode will be Nick's puppy, amazing. <laughs> um, so, you know, I wanted to talk a bit about help scout and positioning and, and help Scout's sales narrative. And I thought maybe what we could do is like, start from the very beginning. Like, I'd like to hear the origin story. Like, you know, where did the idea come from? What were you guys thinking when you first built the product? Like, what did the positioning feel like in your head at the very beginning?
1: Yeah. You know Help Scout what we founded the business 12 years ago. I've been working with my co-founders for 18 years now. And prior to That's Help amazing, Scout It's amazing by the way.
0: Like yes, holy cow. Yeah, we're
1: still work married too happily. I'm, b- I'm very happy to say that.
0: Congratulations. But
1: we had been, you know, before Help Scout, we were basically building websites for clients and building side projects, building web apps on the side. And uh, one of the web apps that we built ended up sort of taking off. And we had to figure out how to do customer support. (laughs) And so we lived this problem ourselves. I wasted a couple of Saturdays trying to set up a help desk for our tool. And it just didn't feel like the right Mm. vibe for our customers. I didn't want ticket numbers. I didn't want portals to log into. My 2 buddies and I just wanted a way to share an inbox and talk to our customers through that inbox. And so we already had dreams of building a successful software business. And we had this big problem that we were thinking about trying to solve for our own business. So from the, from the very early days, we were solving a problem for ourselves, right? Like we were dog fooding this challenge ourselves and wanted to build a customer centric customer support platform. Believe it or not, those did not exist at the time. So Even though there were several competitors in the market they were all help desks, and they were all putting basically a barrier between you and the customer. What would it be like for that that barrier to actually be invisible? It gives you all the scale on the back end of being able to talk to lots of customers at scale, but deliver a personalized experience. That's really what the problem we wanted to solve for. And so it was funny. The first iteration of our website proudly declared that Help Scout is not a help desk, even though that was the market we were intentionally entering because... We yep. thought of help desks as the old way of talking to your customers. We right. wanted to be the new way of talking to your customers. And so that was quite a journey from a just initial positioning standpoint. We learned a lot because one, it takes a lot to educate a market. And we ended up saying, fine, we're a help desk, but we, we're not happy about it. And we want to we disrupt <laughs> the market in very specific ways so that we can eventually say that we're not a help desk. And we don't today. That's typically right. that's not really a term... That our competitors. Well, wait. So at the
0: very beginning, so at the very beginning, you launched and you were like, you know, we're not a help desk, and that didn't work. And then you had to kind of rewind that. Like, like explain how that happened.
1: We were we were in TechStars at the time, and I remember yeah. David Cohen, the co-founder of TechStars, being like, "Hey, man, like I know you all are pretty bootstrappy. You're not going to raise enough money to educate a market on what you are." And there's this people really market. underestimate
0: this, I think. Like the Yeah, they, and, and
1: that's fair. Like, but he said, you know, like even if you're trying to disrupt an existing market, it's important for people to know what you do. And by way of saying, you make a shared inbox. People don't know what that means yet, so until you have the time to educate the market on what a shared inbox is and why it's better than a than a help desk and why. Uh, customers should be motivated to buy this tool and, and grow their business with it. Then you're going to have to be a help desk. You're
0: like, like bummer news for you. Like, you, so how'd you do that then? So then you're like, okay, rats, now we're a help desk. Like how did you differentiate yourself from the other help desks out there? Like who was your big competitor at the time?
1: Uh, so we, you know, we were going up against Zendesk, who's still arguably the market leader. Uh, yeah. and, and, and ironically, the only one of our competitors that refers to themselves as a help desk today. None of our other major competitors. <laughs> is that true?
0: Like everybody yes. else is,
1: everybody yeah, else has moved on? The positioning that everybody's, uh, using and they're the only ones that say they're a help desk today. So the, the market has evolved. And I remember we said, uh, okay, so we're a help desk, but we're an invisible help desk. <laughs> <laughs> that means so your customers are never going to see it. So that was the second iteration of positioning was, Hey, we're we're a help desk and we give you all the amazing tools and scalability of a help desk, but your customers will never know it's there. They never have to deal with a ticket number. They never have to deal with a portal. It's just like a personalized email. And so we were on that train for quite a while. And I still have people... That have either been customers for a long time or have known about Help Scout for a long time. They're like, I really liked it when you all said you were the, the invisible help desk. <laughs> I, that really resonated with me. So it it did work at the time.
0: Hmm. Did you have a like in in the original version of Help Scout? Like, did you have an idea of a target market segment, like a, a typical kind of customer you wanted to go after? You know, we
1: were. Dog fooding. So we were just trying to build something that we thought was awesome first and right. foremost. And, and I had a, a good sense that if we built a tool that we thought was awesome, that there were going to be a lot of other online businesses, particularly that, yeah. that would really enjoy using this tool to talk with their customers. So. We thought of online businesses, probably small to mid-sized businesses, because those are the businesses that we know really well. We can really finish yeah. their sentences because we are small business owners ourselves. And so, but so much of our instincts, and believe it or not, we've never really pivoted the product ever, right? Those dog fooding instincts that we started with just trying to solve our own problem really have served us for the long term and they've continued to inform our instincts i'm still in the queue every week i do a shift
0: that's amazing that's amazing and this has been going it's been going a long time like holy cow yeah God. 12 years so you're in this thing you're the you're the invisible help desk and like how did that how did that evolve over time like so you know did people have a hard time with invisible help desk like and and i'm i'm actually Curious about this idea of the shared inbox because I know you guys were the first ones out that had this yes. concept of a shared inbox. Like, like, were people actually come about, coming off of their own shared inbox where you know they just had a Gmail address and everybody was in one inbox? Is is that is that what the status quo was? You were replacing for the most part.
1: Yeah, early on in the business, roughly two thirds of our new customers were adopting Help Scout for the first time from something like Gmail or Outlook and it right. was just a whole a whole new world. It's like, wow, you mean I can like assign this email to somebody else on my team. I can add right. some private notes that are not visible to the customer just to provide the right context. You give me reports. You tell me how long it takes for me to respond to my customers. Like all these things were actually pretty easy to build on the back end, but they were mind-blowingly valuable. To our customers at the time who were just coming from email, but didn't want the overhead or the expense of, a, of a, right. big, a big enterprise level help desk, we fit right there in the middle, and we're able to be a lot of companies' first help desk and last one for most for most cases. Some some companies do outgrow yeah. us, but most of them do not because we can we can grow with you to to quite an extent as well.
0: Yeah. And then you must have had some copycat competitors compiling into this market because you guys are doing pretty good. You've got this, you know, shared inbox thing. Like, did that happen? And and what'd you guys have to do? You know,
1: we knowingly entered a crowded market. I'm excited by competition. To me, that just shows the market opportunity is valid. For sure, For And it's something worth running after with enthusiasm. So we've, you know, in order to enter the customer support space, you cannot be scared of the competition. You can't be scared of new entrants. You just have to have confidence in what you can do to serve the customer and solve some of the challenges that they're facing. So uh, we did see some competitor, but I like being friends with them. Uh, Intercom came along around the same time that we did. I got mm. to know Owen and uh, Des a little bit. There's a company called Front that's totally focused on the shared inbox use case. We're still about solving the customer support team's challenges first and foremost, and then we end up moving into other departments that are customer-facing. Front actually took a different positioning on the shared inbox problem, and they've been extremely successful. Matilde is a CEO that I have tremendous respect for. So these are people that have actually just become kind of friends, and and, uh, we get to know each other. We've even shared some notes along the way. So I love competing with uh, teams, uh, really smart founders, and great products that really uh, bring out our A game. So it, I have no issue with, with competition. I think, you know, companies like that have actually helped us shift the way the market talks about this challenge. I mentioned there's only one of our competitors that even says they're help desk anymore. They have helped us bring in this new wave of tools where help desk really is the old way of doing it. There's a much more customer centric way to communicate with your customers. And so they've helped us shift the market towards a, a different viewpoint, which is great. Yeah.
0: Yeah. Do you, it, it, but do you ever like in a, in a sales situation, get up against those folks and have a customer go like, Hey, like why are you different than front or how are you different than, I don't know, intercom or somebody else?
1: Yeah, we certainly have our talking points, no doubt. Mm-hmm. Uh, and, and that was part of the discovery process that we went through with you. Right. Yeah. It was, Hey, mm-hmm. you came in and said, look, there's a lot of competitors in this space. How do we differentiate? What are those key Points that we can bring out first and foremost when we meet a customer and over the course of a couple of days together, we identified what those points are and we've continued to rotate around them uh, ever since we did that, that exercise probably a couple of years ago. Yeah. So the most important thing that we decided to hang our hats on was the simplicity of the product, right? The way the reason people buy Help Scout yeah. is because... It's simple to onboard, to train the team, and to be successful with your customers. And you can do so without having to hire an admin. You can do so without having to waste a bunch of your time because chances are you're probably wearing a few hats if you're having to ad- adopt Help Scout. So sure. it just, you can do it. We'd say you can go from zero to power user in an hour, and we're the only tool that you can do that with. So there's certainly things that we differentiate on that that I think give us a, a an edge.
0: Yeah. Well, you know, like, since you brought it up, I'm going to segue into that. Like, you know, we, we worked together, like it was a couple of years ago. Like, what was your thinking on that? Like, like, because I'll tell you, my recollection of working with you folks is we didn't do some like big shift in your positioning. Like what Mm -hmm. I felt like we did was a, a tightening And, and we were really kind of focused on getting the team sort of in agreement and alignment on here's a positioning, here's how we tell the story. But I'd like to hear your, your view on that. Like, what were you, like, why bring in somebody from the outside? Like, what were you thinking about at that time?
1: It was a lot of, so like I said, we've never really done any big pivots with the product. We've continued to refine our positioning over a long period of time. So we know the business really well by the, you know, it was a 10 year old business by the time you came in. And so we knew that this was not going to be a drastic shift, but at the same time, we had not really written down the positioning in such a way that it was consistent across every channel Were the sales reps saying the same things as the support reps and the same things as our website could we find a way to communicate the same things in a, in a, in a clear and unified way. So that the customer would have a consistent experience that's really what that was about for us. And so yeah. we identified those three pillars that we want to rotate around. And we continue to rotate around those three pillars today.
0: Yeah, that's cool. Like a lot of the people I work with, that's exactly what we're doing. Like it's it's not so much like we're taking, you know, we used to be this and now we're this. It's more like we're getting really tight on it. And usually what we've got is like slight variations in the positioning across marketing, sales, customer success, product, you know, like it's all kind of the same, but there's this little bit and that it's that wiggle room where customers are getting confused. They're like, but wait a second, you said you were this and now you're this, but hang on a second and the other guys are this and then, you know, add to the fact that you're in this crowded market and then next thing you know, everybody's like, so what are you again? How does that work? One of the things I really liked about the work we did together was yeah, I really liked what you guys did with um, the the sales pitch at the end. And so, mm-hmm. it, you know, afterwards you sent me the sales pitch and I was like, oh, I love this so much. Um, So we had worked on a storyboard, but, you know, it's not my positioning, it's your positioning. So um you guys ran with that. Can you talk a little bit about like... What what would the, what did the sales pitch look like before? Like who built the original sales pitch on this thing? How did it evolve? And then who worked on it after? And how'd you get to this new one that you've got?
1: Yeah, believe it or not, you know, because the story of Help Scout is so powerful in the way that, you know, uh, you know, our position in the market is we sort of own the moral high ground, right? Like we're a yeah. thought leader in the space. We care deeply about helping you build a customer-centric business. And that's a big part of what we do. For instance... Our support team is the best in the game. I have, I have no issue going on record saying that our support team just does a phenomenal job modeling what we care most about as a company. Like you should be, right? <laughs> right, they should be yeah, and our competitors should be too, but they aren't always right. So I think
0: yeah, it's really you're listening important. out there, Zendesk.
1: But yeah, so there's, there's, there's a lot of um, storytelling for us to do in order to differentiate. Because if if we're yeah. just comparing check boxes, there's a good chance Help Scout loses, right? And we knew that from the beginning, and we knew that we had to become better storytellers. So before we did this exercise together, we were effectively asking a few questions trying to understand the challenges the customer was trying to solve and then diving into a demo well that can be challenging on a number of levels and we're going to have a really difficult time helping people understand how we differentiate from on zendesk or anybody else if if you're not really doing some more storytelling and so the, the process that we went through just was about being able to tell a clear story about hey, here's the problem that we think you're probably trying to solve. And here's why Help Scout can solve it better than anybody else. And we really rotate around those three pillars. And so it was like, it was like a short deck, you know, seven, eight slides, takes five, eight minutes to go through, but really sets the context so that when you see the demo and you see the way that the product reinforces the story that we're telling, it's much more powerful because truly like If we if we get into a feature war, we will lose. Like they're they're gonna they're gonna buy a different product if they just want the product that does the most stuff. Uh but the truth is that's gonna cost them a lot more time and money over time, not to mention it's gonna be a worse customer experience. So there's another way you can go about that. So we were just talking in the last couple of weeks about revamping that story a little bit. We're doing a Mm. little bit of brand work right now, about to update some things. And so Uh, we always start with the, with the pitch, which is something that we learned from you. Don't start by redesigning the website. Start by yeah. redesigning the way you tell stories to your customers on the sales side of the business. Cause it's so much easier to iterate on that story. Once you feel like you've nailed it, then you apply it back to the go to market position in the website. So we've continued to, to implement that advice.
0: Yeah. Well, I learned that the hard way, man. Like like, (laughs) the number of times we did positioning stuff and then we would go and try to AB test it on the website or we'd start with the messaging. We build all this messaging and then how do you test it? Right. Like in, in in the reality is a B2B website, like you're not even getting enough traffic normally to like. Get a statistically significant A-B test to run. And if you do, it takes forever. And then by the time you figure it out, you're like, oh, crap, this didn't work. Now I got to go back and do it again. But meanwhile, you know, if you've got a sales team, super easy to build a pitch deck and a demo that goes with that, get it out in front of some customers and you know whether it's working or not when you look at them in the eyeballs. (laughs) Right.
1: Because what are we testing? We're testing our ability to win hearts and minds.
0: That's right. I just don't think an
1: A-B variant is going to get you there.
0: It's hard, like, and and you don't even, there's so many dependencies, like, did you design the page right? You know, you're kind of testing messaging at the same time as positioning, then, you know, is it really the right traffic? And so, you know, and so it depends a lot how you got people there in the first place. Whereas again, if I'm doing it in a sales pitch, like they're qualified, I know who they are, I know exactly the situation the customer's in, we got them in a sales pitch. And, you know, you might not know if you've got the best pitch ever, but you can feel whether or not it's better than the old one.
1: Hundred percent, hundred percent, and it really is qualitative what you can feel. Because I wouldn't even base it on conversion rate. Like maybe we're just able to disqualify leads quicker.
0: That's it. <laughs>
1: Based on the, the, so the story true. that we're telling, you know.
0: Yeah, that's a, that's a really good point because in B two B, like we've all, we're often talking to the wrong people. We're spending too much time with the wrong people and not enough time with the right people. When you guys were building that, who who built it? Was it somebody in sales or was it a combo sales and marketing? Were you involved in that? Yeah,
1: 100%. So I, I just love storytelling and I, I love telling the story of the brand and the product. And so we basically took the team that worked with you and we worked together on, on the sales pitch. So that included folks from product marketing, sales, customer support, and, and I was also involved. And yep. we continued to just kind of iterate on that for a while until the story felt really crisp. And I tried to give the pitch a couple of times myself. I, I always like, I'm just such good. a big believer in dog fooding across the board, not just in terms of building the product. So yep. I wanted to be able to dog food the story and make sure that it worked. And so we went through a process of iteration there, made some changes and, and felt like it was in a good place. And, and only now are we just starting to revisit again and say, how has the story changed?
0: Yeah, that's cool. So like, what are the signals you're looking for when you're thinking about, hey, maybe we need to come back and look at this stuff again?
1: A couple of things catalyze that sort of discovery process. One, evolution in the market. So I, I mentioned that the way that the market talks about these products has changed. It used to be help desk. Today, it's customer communications platform. Who knows what it's going to be five years from now. And so mm-hmm. it's a, it's really interesting. And, and that's, you know on some level that's mission accomplished it's like wow nobody, everybody thinks help desk suck now that's great that's amazing we're finally we evolving into like a, yeah we did that we disrupted that space which is great uh, but you know if people are using different words to describe the problem yeah. they're trying to solve you know one thing that we've had to learn is we have we win customers in 300 industries Not to mention, we win them in many departments across the organization. So we typically land in customer support, but there's lots of other customer-facing teams that need a shared inbox. So that's an incredibly... like When you've got a horizontal business like that, it's so hard to position in such a way that you're using that person's language to describe the problem they're trying to solve. And so, man, we've done a lot of work in trying to deeply understand the industry and use case variations Hmm. and how they talk about things. And so to some extent, and it's not really, it's not really our choice, but the messages come become more complex because we want to use very specific language, depending on the industry and use case uh, to describe the challenge that they're trying to solve so that instantly we can make a connection. So I think we've just acknowledged the fact that this is a rather complex positioning challenge for us. And now that we've learned a lot, we've won in a lot of different industries and we've gotten to know those customers rather well. I just feel like we can, we can get a little bit more nuanced. We can go one layer deeper and say, okay, at the high level, the pillars are still the same, but it, when we get into this industry and use case, what are they actually right. trying to solve? When I'm trying to win in higher ed, they do not think about that as customer service. Right. They think of that as alumni relations or admissions or campus life. Like there's all sorts of other different use cases that are like, wow. They don't think of that as a customer at all. They think of it as a student, right? right? So how do I use language that's going to to resonate with them? So that's one part of it. And then two is, hey, how is our, our product, our platform, and our company evolving? Like, where are we trying to go? And something that has happened to us over the years, which is expected, is you know our competitors will sell against us only being for the small person. Like the small, the small businesses, like we're, we're not going to scale with you. And the truth is yes. we do scale really well with our customers, but we've had to fight against that narrative. And so what is a help scout for ups and like growing businesses and like grow, businesses that are trying to scale and conquer the world and put it in, in the universe? Like what, what are they looking for? Because we built a great pro- platform for them. We don't want anybody thinking we're too small just because we're focused on the SMB yeah. segment doesn't mean we can't grow with you. And so uh, we're in the process of putting out a, a, an updated sort of brand. And like we've updated our strategic planning process and everything to just look a little bit further up market still within the SMB segment. So sometimes you'll start to pivot who you want to focus on and where you want to go based on how the platform has evolved. And that's that's another thing that catalyzed the shift for us.
0: Yeah. Yeah. So interesting. So do you see yourselves like in the future, do you think you're still going to be like landing in customer success and then expanding across? So like your, you know, your headline messages are still around that, but then it becomes more of an expansion thing. And so is that a sales motion or a marketing motion? How are you guys going to do that? So curious. It's
1: interesting. I mean, a lot of it up to this point has just happened through product-led growth. So You know, we don't talk to 80% of the people that buy help scout, believe it or not, they don't go through the sales process, they just sign up, and they convert and then they introduce their friends and other departments to the product and the tool and it ends up solving problems in those areas. And so we're like, hey, um, how can we go about inserting the lightest human touch in order to, to make those conversations happen in places where they may not be? So we always design from a product led growth lens and then move into, hey, when does human touch actually make sense? And typically that's based on employee count. You know, so the larger the organization, the more complex the sale is. Even if it's the same sort of uh, number of users that they're buying to begin with, if there's a lot of expansion opportunity there, then it ends up being a real sales opportunity where we want some human touch involved. So there's, some, there's a few things that we've learned, but we always kind of start from a product-led growth lens and then kind of say, what are we learning from that? And where could we add human touch that's going to help move the needle?
0: Yeah. Do you think there's things you folks have done in the product itself that kind of reinforces your positioning?
1: Well, you know that one of our big pillars, like two of our pillars are simple and powerful, right? Yeah. And so most definitely that speaks to the product. And, yeah. and the sort of experience that we want to, to provide. So we the like simplicity.
0: To we one is one that is just, it's so much easier to show that rather than to yeah. talk about that. Right. <laughs> like, you know, like if you got to talk too much about simplicity, then I think maybe you ain't that simple. Right. right.
1: And that's why we say zero to power user in an hour, right? right. All you got to do is sign up. And so the product has to reinforce right. that at every turn. Yeah. And we like to embody a principle we call opt-in complexity where hmm. look, That second pillar is there for you too. Powerful as soon as you need it, but you're going to have to like opt into it. Once you start to get tremendous volume, then our automations will really step up for you. Our reporting will really step up for you. All the integration paths that we have, those will really step up for you. But when you first sign up for a trial, we're not going to show you those things yet. We're going to let you kind of ease into it. So we try to to model that principle uh, in the way that we build the product, almost to our detriment to some extent, because you log in and you're like, wow, this is so easy. Am I done? Is this it? (laughs) Right. Uh, And and sometimes we we end up with like a little bit of a discoverability problem. It's like, this feels too simple, right? This feels too simple for me to to actually use at scale. And so that's typically what we have to sell against is the simplicity of our own product. No, this will actually work for you. You know, when you've got a 200 person support team and you're serving thousands of customers every day, it will still work for you. I think that's why it's
0: important that there's that pillar in your messaging. Yes. Yeah like this pillar about powerful, because that is one that again, like, I don't want to expose you to too much of that when you're just signing on and you're just, you know, and I'm trying to make things simple, but on the flip side, like, I I do want you to understand that that stuff is there when you need it.
1: Right. So one of our big product led growth sort of priorities right now is how can we make that complexity a bit more discoverable without, yeah. Stepping on the the user experience that feels so simple, and we could probably do a better job there, no doubt.
0: Yeah. The and then t- and then I want to circle back to this. You guys pushing a little bit more up market. So, mm-hmm. do you think that's? How do you think that's going to change your? Do you think that's going to change the change the positioning at all? Does it change the sales story? Does it change your go to market a little bit? Like, what does that look like?
1: It's small refinements, right? Like, because ultimately, what we did was. We follow where the product-led growth motion led us. So we didn't decide when we founded the company to win in 300 industries. That happened to us. Right. And so when it comes to deciding to move up market, we looked at our most successful customers and we said, what do those customers look like? How do we get more of those? Right. And our most successful customers are typically between like 50 to 200 employees, sometimes 200 to 500 employees. We think of our cap as like 500 employees. That's when you may need another level of sophistication to more of an enterprisey type of tool. But man, in those in those ranges, we've got so many successful customers And so we just looked at what they did and said, how can we make this more visible to customers just like them who are on our website thinking about buying? How can we tailor the story a little bit better to them? Because if you look at our sales data, we don't win those customers. We grow those customers. So those customers actually start as like a 10 person organization and they grow with us, which is awesome. But how could we actually earn customers at that size from maybe one of
0: our competitors instead of an
1: email tool? Well, we're going to have to change our positioning in order to really make that
0: work. Yeah, that totally makes sense. This is so cool. Is there anything else you want to talk about that we haven't covered <laughs> kind of in this, in this thing, anything, Look, anything I, else? I, I love talking about positioning.
1: I don't think there's particularly in a crowded market. This is one of the only tools we have to differentiate mm-hmm. ourselves in the hearts and minds of people that are buying. And that's something I think we've done pretty well over the years is I mentioned sort of the moral high ground. Like we, we really want to be that, that company and that, that product that is the most customer centric experience. Like we've always said that we design for your customer before we design for you. And, uh, that's something that we want to continue to, to live up to. And that's how we differentiate. So when, when you can't just differentiate on feature functionality, which 98% of companies cannot do today, right? There's mm-hmm. every market is relatively crowded. How yep. are you going to separate yourself in a crowded space? Positioning is is maybe the, arguably the, the most powerful tool to do
0: that. Yeah, that's so cool. All right. Well, I think that's it. Thank you so much for joining me today. I love this conversation. My pleasure, April.
1: Always good to see you. It's good to see you too.